There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, let me tell you about my first guest. Joanne O'Dwyer is a community employment supervisor on a rehabilitation program with the Red Door Project in Drogheda. And she joins us today on Late Lunch. Further to her story on Drogheda Life, which we spotted a number of weeks ago, and standing up at a recent get-together of the Red Door to tell her life story, I'm delighted to welcome her to Late Lunch today. Joanne, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Um, let's begin at the beginning. Your family, the West of Ireland, how many children were in the family? I was the second of four children, Jerry. Um, my mum and dad were pretty ambitious people. Um, my, one of the earliest memories I had was mum and dad building a little convenience shop attached to our, our first home. Um, dad was a chef and mum was a housewife. Um, they were always stro- strived for a, a better life for us. And from, I suppose, around four or five, we moved from, from Sligo to Cavan. And um, that kind of was the, the start of the picture of kind of moving from place to place to kind of try and better the family and businesses. So we were always in the catering business. Dad was a chef, so he would have ran um, golf clubs and he had a hotel and um, stuff like that. So there was always, you know, a, a real, you know, to, to do well and to, to, you know, to better yourself. And I suppose that's the difference in me, I suppose, I see as in usually when you look at someone that gets involved in heroin, it's... Um, it's maybe someone from a very impoverished area. Very, I was very middle class and very normal life. I didn't come from. I wasn't very, you know, hard or you know, bad upbringing. Yes. Yeah. It was very. This can touch anybody, yeah. no matter where you are in this social strata that they yeah. talk about. Mm. But here's the thing: you moved a lot, and this is a significant thing in your story. Twenty homes, nine different schools. Was that? Did that underpin the difficulties that followed? I Yeah, I suppose I, I would have been a pretty anxious child. My mother would say I was very much a leader and very strong, but I would have always been very a lot of uncertainty. And the moves came a lot of, you know, you kind of try to reinvent yourself. And I was, I was a pretty overweight child and um, really struggled at times to fit in. So all, a lot of moving, for me anyway, when I see now, when I look at, I suppose... Um, the, what might might go towards affecting someone that ends up on drugs would be for me it was it was an issue. Um, there was I suppose I a lot of access to alcohol at a young age. We had dad had bars and mum and dad had bars and stuff. So I would have had you know a, a pretty pretty easy access to alcohol from a young age. So what I, age did you start drinking? I was drinking. I definitely was drinking by the time I done my junior cert. I remember when I was doing my junior cert, I was, I was a pretty regular drinker, weekend drinker. Um, by the time I was doing my leaving cert, we'd moved from the home place, and my brother and me had done our um, leaving cert away from the home place. And by that stage, I was um, 
probably going to school on a Monday and a Friday hungover. You know, um, so that was the real start of my, and I realised at that stage that it, it took away a lot of my insecurities, and it took away, you know, and alcohol was, you know, it was it was something to escape, I suppose, feelings that I already had there underneath. Um, from there, then, when I left school, um, I got a, a place doing science in Carlo, and um, when I went to Carlo, I found a whole access to drugs then so from then um, I remember going down and I was in digs in Carlo and um, within a few months I was hanging around with people that were doing drugs so I was starting to um, experiment with weed and hash and ecstasy and acid magic mushrooms From and at that stage I was I was just 18 at that stage Um then I, I let, dropped out of college, didn't tell my parents and stayed living down there and um, continued partying for the whole summer and then um, for the, till the summer. And that summer I went to London and um, from then on, I suppose I was pretty, pretty heavily taking drugs regularly, like recreational drugs. Um, worked in London. I was selling speed and coke in, a, in the bar, worked in a London and I came home. I remember coming home. I meant to come home at the end of the summer. I didn't come home till near Christmas. And I remember my mum ringing me you know what's going on you're coming home and you know what I mean I came home and I remember I was uh, probably three or four stone lighter than I'd went and um, I was pretty pretty dishevelled and when I came home that time my mum and dad were now living in Dublin did you burn bridges in London? Just come back to that for a second. Did you did, did well, I get an impression that really it was time to get out of London? There was, yes. I had, I had, I at this stage I was, I was sleeping on people's floors and I was, I had burnt. Yes, I definitely had burnt, used up all my favours. And um, I, I came home when the time was. I had no more. I remember getting scraping the money together to get a bus to Hollyhead and Hollyhead in the ferry home. And being absolutely starving and just going, this is, I have to, you know what I mean? I, I, need, to, I need to do something at that stage. So you were working, what, what drugs were you taking at that stage? Um, definitely a regular a weed smoker. Um, I suppose in them days it was hash. Now there's, you know, you wouldn't get hash at the moment. It's mostly weed. Um, definitely doing ecstasy and speed at weekends, going to raves. I spent a lot of time in London in the rave scene. So when I came back to Dublin, um, my mum and dad were in, in, living in Dolly Mount and um, I got a flat in the inner city and I continued that lifestyle going to raves the weekend I'd be in um, the asylum or in um, the Ormond in Dublin and I'd maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and I'd work for my dad in, in his in his um, establishment um, so Were you able to function? At that stage I was Jerry. yeah, uh, yeah you Even fu- with you, all you, this? Yeah, you'd still, you know, you're young. I was a young person. I was, you know, I was only, well, 19 or so. I was, yeah, I'd drag yourself around, I suppose. And you were functioning, I suppose, as, as well as, as well as uh, when I think now, you probably weren't functioning. I probably, you know, I wasn't probably eating well and I wasn't um, wasn't saving money. wasn't doing things that normal people do, minding myself, washing myself. But I just go to work. Every penny I made was spent at the weekends partying. And so you're like, I remember coming home from raves at, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, going straight to work. That was a regular, you know what I mean? You wouldn't even sleep. They'd go on days without sleep and just... And that, that would, be, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know what I mean, in, in the late 90s, you know, would, would remember that. You know what I mean? Mm. Anybody who was, you know what I mean, it was a big rave scene at the time. Mm. So in Dublin, uh, you go to catering college and you're taking ecstasy and cocaine at this stage? Um, well, I, I started, when I came back then from London, there was an onus on me to do something with my life. And I think um, I, I done a bit, I remember I done... Um, went to K- yeah, signed up for Caden College and 
Um, I was good. I was good. I was always dad was a chef, and so I was always in the kitchen. So I had a very good knowledge of it. So I didn't really have to go that much because I was pretty good anyway. Mm. So I was, you know, I turn up. I turn up for the <laughs> the practical stuff and cook, and then the lecturers all really really liked me. And sure, I I, I bluffed my way through the rest of it, you know, because because um, you know, I, I was able to cook. So um, around around nineteen ninety seven. 19, yeah, in 1997, I met my son's dad. and That was Mark. That's Mark, yeah. Mm. And um, Mark and me hit it off straight away. We got on really well and we were out, met him in, in that scene. And um, then, I suppose, within a few months of, of being, you know, um, being, being in that, in, in Mark in that scene, I was aware that heroin was coming in at, at nights. So when you're coming down, heroin, you know, is a, is a is a sedative. So it would help you sleep. It would help you come down from the high of of the the other drugs. And um, I remember seeing it around and going, I'll, I'll never touch that. That's for, that's you know, the heroin is a uh, for junkies and scumbags. And I won't. Um, that'll never be me. And and then. It, it, like as I say to my clients now you sit in a barber's long enough you get a haircut it was around me long enough and one night I went ah give it to me there I'll have a go I couldn't sleep I was you know what I mean I just wanted to, to sleep and I wanted to come down and I tried it and straight away I went this is what I've been looking for all my life this is the this is the always searching there was always a want in me for something a kind of a hole inside me and the minute I took it I went this is it yeah this is the drug I, I, I that's for me and very quickly, the nights out stopped, and it was nights in at the weekends smoking heroin. Um, maybe you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and then it became it was every night of the week. Um, that was a, probably you know a quick enough process. Um, got hooked. You know, if you don't have heroin, you you you're sick, physically sick. As where I suppose cocaine, or you know, there's a, a psychological you know want for it. Um, I remember being achy and kind of, you know, fluey and, and if I didn't have it, I, you know, I, I'd be in a bad way and very quickly started, you know, robbing from my mum and dad and um, I was, you know, shoplifting. Mark started dealing to, to, you know, to try and, you know, to feed our habit and, and things went from there very quickly to, um, I remember, you know, uh, missing days in work and not paying rent and just very quickly the decline and I was obsessed. Life is spiralling out of control yeah. and yet you say I found what I've always wanted. Heroin is what I need. You got to the stage, is this true, that you were injecting three bags a day? Yeah, I would have when I, uh, you know, you smoke for so long and a tolerance is there and you, you know what I mean? And, you, and you're, I was on methadone and stuff. But the day come came when there, uh, you know, I, I wanted a bit, a bit more of a stronger hit or, you know, I wasn't doing it for me anymore. And I started injecting and that very quickly um, we had, I had access to it, you know, and it was eventually, yeah, I was up to injecting three bags a day. Um, if I would listen, whatever I could get. If I got more, I'd take it. And there was days I didn't have it, and I was sick. But on top of that, I was taking methadone, and I was getting tablets as well, benzodiazepines prescribed to me. So, you know, when I look at it now, I was probably never sick, but I was telling myself that because I just wanted more and more. And you build a tolerance, and you want more, and you want, you know. You started running drugs to Liverpool, to Amsterdam, in and out of Dublin Airport, smuggling heroin. Yeah, you were never not, caught. Not proud of it. I, I was nearly once or twice. Yeah, um, nearly once or twice coming through um, the port one day. I remember getting searched and going, "Oh, this is it. I'm I'm gone." Um, no, I I was I don't know how somebody was looking over me. I was blessed. I remember sleeping one night in um, Liverpool port with um, 
a load of hello magazines over me in a, in a, in a kind of a crate and there was two or three entries on at the time and there was horses in the, I could hear the horses in the other crates because I went to Liverpool and I had missed the 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 boat back I remember sleeping in a in a in a crate and going this is this is this is crazy like what are you at um, life was pretty mad at that time, you know. Like we, like uh, you know, we done what you had to do. Um, Mark was dealing, and and um, you just, you know, yeah, it was crazy. And I'm not proud of things I done. I'm not proud of of you know of bringing or any criminal. Like I have a criminal record, and I'm not proud of. And I've done things that I can't even, I wouldn't even talk about because they're so, you know. Oh God, make me my skin crawl now when I think about it. But that's what happens when you're on drugs. You, you, all your morals and your values and everything that any that my parents, you know, instilled in me. Um, the good person, my mother always say, remember the good, the, you know, the good stock you came from. And I did, but every all that went out the window because, and I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't the person I am today. And you know, and you do things and. Uh, when when you're in that place of addiction that that you would never normally do, so. You know, that was my behaviour and addiction. That wasn't me as a person. Can you not see outside of it? You know, you, you've you experienced this. I haven't. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, when you're in this and what you describe there, is there not something inside you screaming, come on, Joanne, stop? Of course, yeah, of course you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. And you know that, you know, you're hurting people and you're guilty and you're remorseful and you're shameful and you're embarrassed. But... You know, you just you just keep going because that you need the drug and you need and 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 it's it's you know it's so hard to see the wood from the trees when you're in that place. And of course, from anybody looking on the outside, you're going, "Come on, cop yourself on, woman. What are you doing? You're you know you're you're you know you're you're ca- causing so many people so much hurt. Um, there's you know people you know like you're getting a criminal record, you're getting a bad name for yourself. Nobody wanted to. Anybody saw me coming, they would lock their you know what I mean, grab their hand. You know, I I anything that wasn't laid down, I took. But um, like, you don't, you're not able when you're in that place of addiction. You can't see that, and it's very hard to see. And because the the drug has such a hold on you, and of course you see it. You see you're hurting people, but there's very little that you you know uh, when you're in that place that you know it, 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 there's no there's no. It's very hard to come out of. You did attend a methadone clinic. You did seek help. You spent six weeks uh, detoxing, but then a bit of a bombshell. You're told that you're hepatitis C positive. Was that the gunk that many people would feel it, it would be if you were told something like that? Yeah, I remember I was uh, I was in in detox at the time in Beaumont Hospital, and I had planned to go into rehab. And um, I was told while I was there, you'd hepatitis C. And I suppose at the time, you know, you you kind of know the risks. You know, there was hepatitis C or HIV around it. Um, I saw at the time I was still I was like, oh yeah, it'd be grand, it'd be grand. But when now when I look at it, and someone told me I had hepatitis C, I'd be going, oh my god, yeah, it, you know what I mean. The, the effects it has in your liver and your immune system and all that. But um, yeah, at the time. <laughs> Time, I suppose, I just brushed it off. Went, yeah, it'd be grand, you know. And but you couldn't brush it off because Christmas, nineteen ninety nine. I'm sure you'll never forget that time. A revelation. You're five months pregnant. Yeah, I was. I was pregnant with my son. Um, gave birth to him in you know returned to hospital. Yeah, I was hepatitis C. He, I was on forty mils of methadone, and I remember sitting watching him, and he was in a high dependency, and he'd been watched, monitored for withdrawals. And I remember the nurses and everybody coming in and just feeling so shameful and so and kind of realization going, what what is going on here? You know, you're you're look what you're after doing. Um, I remember walking out of the hospital going, they're actually letting me walk out of here with this child. Do they do they know what I'm what who I am and what I'm at? And they're handing me this bundle going off. You go, I was twenty two. 
I was 23 two days later. On I had him two days before my 23rd birthday. And um, it was madness when I think about it. And I remember at the time there was a lot of talk in the hospital. Social workers were talking to me. And, and I remember I went home then to live with my mum and dad. And my mum and dad were, were brilliant. They were great, great support. But that kind of, on top of a newborn child then, on top of everything that was going on for me, just, you know, threw me into more of a spiral of, of madness. Your baby's born, Keen, and you have to watch that baby go through the withdrawal process after coming into this earth. You mentioned there that you were given the baby, left the hospital, went back into the, your family who took you back willingly. But there was tension. That didn't last. You moved out on your own. I moved out on my own. I got my own place with Mark. Or with, no, sorry, not with Mark, with Keen. And um, I put Keen into creche. And I remember then um, I started getting jobs and trying to look around and I would work with my dad a bit and maybe go off and get a job here and there. But I was still... Still, ba- I went back using. I, I when I had Keen, I was actually wasn't injecting heroin at the time. I was just on methadone. Went back using again heroin, and um, things from then on between Mark and me, kind of, we kind of the Latin, when Keen was around two, we started to pull away from each other. Um, Mark got a prison sentence and kind of gave me a bit of space away from him. And um, I continued from Keen from around two thousand to two thousand and four. Um, my, my dr- Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Abuse got worse and I started injecting coke and, and heroin together. How did you mind the baby? Well, I had a great support from my mother and father. Um, minding the baby, you know, I was pretty functioning. I was very functioning addict. I, mean, I think there's many mothers out there that are. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I definitely had. A, I was very conscious that you know he was dependent on me, and I minded him. But I suppose looking now, you know what I mean? Was I really minding him? But I thought at the time I was. I was doing my best. I done my very best with him. Mm. Yeah. So you continued to use cocaine and heroin. The addiction continued. You, you, you've said that. You, you, your veins were in absolute bits and that you, 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 this day you went to court you were up for what armed robbery I was involved in an armed robbery yeah I had um, how did you in, get in, into in, that was into, that tied well, in with that, the, the addiction you see when you're when you're involved in, in addiction you're going to be involved in criminality and people who are involved in crime that's what people do to to, to, to I suppose sustain their addiction so yeah I got involved um, with somebody who was doing um, an armed robbery and I um, yeah I was up in court and that day, 
um, I arrived in court and I had been asked to give urines and I hadn't given them and I kind of thought Asher be grand and when I arrived in court I remember I was after using and um, the judge started shouting at me and I stood up and said that I was I was um, insulting his courtroom by arriving in the state I was and very quickly I remember all of a sudden I saw a guard walking towards me with handcuffs in his hand and I'm going oh my god I'm going to get locked up here and my son is going to be taken away from me and nobody even knows I'm here and just it's like my life flashed before me and I was going and next minute from the corner of the room this guard stood up a big tall man I didn't even know him and he said sorry your honour please I know this 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 girl's family and um, she's a really really good person and really but she's just went down an awful bad and um, please can you appeal into the court can you give her a chance and I don't even know what happened for the next few minutes but I know then I walked out I got two years probation and a suspended sentence and I remember walking out and the guard came over to me and he kind of said you're, you were you so lucky to walk out here today I remember crying and he told me you need to think about what you're at Joanne you need to you're a good girl and he said you're just you're, you're going to end up you're going to end up just you know you're going to end up in trouble so and I um, so that was it really the really, kind of the penny was starting to drop then I remember I was injecting at the time it was going into my neck and my groin um, I my, even still to this day I can't get blood out of me um, when I go to the hospital it's it's uh, my, my veins are very bad and uh, I was and my doctor at the time was saying you're going to end up dead because you're going to inject yourself someday into your neck you're going to get a clot you're going to die you know you need to start thinking about you know either going back into treatment or doing something and it was around that time then mum and dad moved from from Dublin down to Casa Bellingham and they said you know, it was going to be left on my own in Dublin with Keane and I suppose probably they were concerned for Keane as well as, and they said, come down to Castlebell and see what you think and, you know, get a, get a place your own and um, we'll take it from there. And I did. And that was 2000, early 2005. And within a few months of that, I met um, Ronnie, a man I married since. And um, on the 25th of, Fe- of March 2005 was the last time I ever injected heroin. And Ronnie was a huge, I suppose, a huge, huge factor in that. He came in and um, I got a bit of st- stability and I got a bit, I could see, starting to see a bit clearer and I was just on methadone and on tablets and I wasn't using regularly and I kind of got a bit of money, you know, and I kind of started to kind of put it into Keane and the house and stuff and kind of was able to kind of just, you know, settle myself and I took took stock and I realised this is madness. So, um, there, then the following year, I started looking at, um, I again inje- uh, reinfected myself with hepatitis a second time and I looked then at trying to get off my methadone and I had an excellent doctor at the time in Dublin, um, Tony Crosby, who helped me um, withdraw off the methadone in a slow process and he allowed me do it as I wanted. So that probably took me maybe a year and a half, two years, come off all the, you know, all the medication and, and stuff I was on. And after that, then I got um, some treatment for the hepatitis C. I was very lucky. Bowmind Hospital gave me a trial because I got clean and got off everything. They'd only give it to people who would, who would, um, who were stable and who were clean. And so they gave me a trial drug and I got, and I got, I got, I was blessed. I got the all clear that, um, in I think twenty. 2011 or 2012 I got mm. the odds here so that. you're on the, the, the way I'm, I'm back I'm on the way off. back up now Jerry. you're off you're clean at this stage you put on a lot of weight at one stage didn't you what size did you go to I was 20 I was nearly 24 stone um, this this happened around that time I I um, I just started I was I started overeating I suppose I thought because I wasn't using drugs that I was in recovery and now when I know what I know now, since I've, you know, studied it so much that I actually, I'd stopped using drugs, but I was still, I was still in, in addiction because I was still the pain and hurt that that was there from 
all past experiences and things that I had done to people and the hurt and pain that was still there I hadn't dealt with it so I just swapped one addiction for the other I started to overeat I eat and eat and eat I remember I it was just I was I was miserable I got to, I tipped nearly 24 stone I could I remember one day being in in, in the shopping centre with Keane um, at Christmas and he was running up and down the marshes and in the middle and I couldn't keep up with him and I sat down and I my feet were swollen and I was just I was miserable and I was going what is going on here I thought because I wasn't you know the drugs were gone and I should be happy but I'm not and um, I was like okay there's there's something more here going on so I decided to go to a counsellor very good um, um, somebody in a um, friend of mine well he's a good friend of mine now in Dundalk and he um, started working through kind of the issues of that were underlying that I know now that, that I hadn't dealt with at the time and started to, to kind of, um, you know, unravel them and talk about stuff that had happened to me in the past and things I had done to people and the whole big ball of a mess of, you know, of, of years of pain and hurt. And um, I started to realise what, what I was doing. There was always a want and a hole and a kind of a, an emptiness inside me. And I was, no matter what, whether drugs or I was trying to fill it with food or drugs or whatever. Um, it was in then 2009, I applied to University of Ulster for a degree in counselling and I got in. And I'd done four years from 2009 to 2013. Um, in that time, though, um, in 2011, we got news that Mark had passed away and very sad. Um, he had a drowning accident in the Lithian. Um, I suppose that was, you know, um, he, he'd been unwell and he, he, um, he uh, I suppose, we'd been homeless and he just, he'd went in a real, real, and I was kind of going one way and he was going the other, but it was very sad, I suppose, and very sad for Keane that his his dad had passed away and he, you know, and, and that was, it was upsetting and so it was only now, it's kind of, at the time, kind of just got on with it, but now, you know, I reflect on that, you know, it was it was a very, very sad, sad for his family and, you know. Look, all's well that ends well. You go to the University of Ulster, you lose all that weight, you're up and settled on your own with your son, Keane, and you qualify and you volunteer for a while around, the, you know, the services and eventually you end up at the Red Door. And at this stage, can I say the rest is history? The rest is history, yeah. It yeah. is. It's a very good, it's a very good, the ending is a great, it's a great story. But unfortunately, not everybody gets to, to make it. You know what I mean? And we see that in the Red to Door. To tell the story, because I want to ask you this, and this is crucial. Do you ever think about how you came through? Yeah, there's times I sit back and go, yeah, you're amazing, Joanne, look at you. But <laughs> then, uh, yeah, I suppose I wouldn't be here only for the love and support of my family and very good friends. Um, my family always stood by me and I would have hurt them greatly. Um, um, but my mum and dad are, are amazing people and my brothers and sisters and, and Keane as well, my son, um, have always been there for me. Um, I have hurt them a lot in the past and, you know, but um, they've... they. They, you know what I mean that's kind of in the past and they see who I am now and they're very proud of me and, and very um, happy from you know what I mean where I've got to so um, yeah I suppose I do sit back some days and go God look at you like you know what I mean but yeah I suppose yeah Is that a message for others there are people listening today who are living with addicts Yes and it's so difficult and they feel like disowning them are saying go away leave me alone mm. you people stuck with you is that vital? It, well, for me, it was. I knew when the time was right and I decided to do something about it that they'd be there for me. So they rejected my behaviour as in addiction, but they loved me as a person. 
and they could see they could separate that so I suppose oh, I, I'm a family support um, counsellor and I would say that to the people I work with that uh, you know it's the addiction you have to separate the addiction from the from the person and you know to, to see that that's not them that's their behaviour in addiction and their and their um, what are you pointing to Jerry? I, I, <laughs> I'm trying so, to I'm so, trying, I don't so, want to stop you in so, um, like, yeah so that's it really I, I know it's hard to live with someone in addiction you know um, I, I you know, see it all the time and, and it's very hard to you know to put up with someone that you know what I mean who is being dishonest and maybe robbing and you know and being manipulative and being you know and being aggressive or whatever and it's very hard to put up with that but you know it's about being boundary around people and, and what you will and won't accept and I suppose there was a bit of tough love for my parents and they were very you know they wouldn't accept certain things about me and, and I went off and done my own thing but I knew when the time was right yet that they would they'd take me back and, and only for them I probably wouldn't be sitting here today This is what I'm pointing at I love to hear my sister Joanne sharing her story <laughs> hoping it will help others moving to Castle Bellingham turned out to be the best thing to happen to her and at lovely uh, and and all that lovely support she got there. Yes, we People love her so much. That comes in from the O'Dwyer gang. Oh, thank you, O'Dwyer gang. That's Shauna. Yeah, she's my sister, and she, you know, and I look at our relationships. But I have two brothers and a sister, and at times I had I fell out with all of them because of stuff I done to them and hurt them. And they're they're my bigger my biggest champions now. You know, um, and, and as well, Castle Bellingham, people in Castle Bellingham, the community of Castle Bellingham, O'Connell's Football Club, to the v- people that live in the village, to, you know, people I've met through um, fitness, Jackie Agnew Fitness, that, you know what I mean? I've just, I have a huge community of people. And it's like the community that's in the Red Door Project, that you, you need a healthy, um, safe place to heal. And I'd always say that. I got that in Castle Bellingham. I have amazing friends. And um, the red door that I work in now, I suppose that's what we try and, in, in, you know, give to people that come in a safe place to get better and to get well. Homelessness and mental health issues get a lot of attention and are talked about. Yes. But you've said we're not dealing with the root cause of these, which is the addiction. Yes. Is you- that the big bogey? for government and services today. Yeah, it, addiction isn't sexy. Nobody wants to talk about it. And it's only lately we're starting to talk about homelessness and mental health. But if you look at underneath a lot of people with mental health issues, there's addiction there as well, dual diagnosis. And if you look at our prison services, 70% of the prison are, are people that are, are there because of um, they, they've done something through addiction. They've committed a crime through addiction. So if we start to deal with the root problem and get rid of the stigma around addiction and around, that's why I'm, why I t- I'm talking about this, um, we can deal with all the all the other problems from and our, our system is all wrong. We're criminalised. We're, we're you know we're punishing people for committing crimes because they're sick because they're in addiction and it's it's all wrong. It's all wrong. The Red Door is a special place, I know, and I yeah. remember being there when it started in early days. And I went down and interviewed people there mm. as well. Do you feel with what you've been through and how you've survived, and here you are today, now in there helping others, that that experience? sets you apart I, I, I don't yeah I suppose I, I don't feel you have to be in recovery to work in, in you know in a service like that um, I think once you have compassion and kindness and an understanding that people you know are, go through tough times and people are able to change that's all you need I suppose it is an added it is a, a definitely something I use um, there would have been a time where I'd be very shameful of my past but I, I use it now to instill hope in people so I would talk very openly about my journey and you know and the tools of my recovery and I talk all the time about gratitude and the minute I get up in the morning I put my two feet 
feet on the floor. I talk about, okay, what am I grateful for today? What I've got a roof over my head and I, I never look at what I don't have and what I, you know what I mean, what maybe Mary down the road has. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the life I have and I constantly remind myself of that. So, I suppose to answer your question it, does it set me apart I suppose it makes me who I am but it's it's. I use it I definitely use it as a tool but I don't think it's you know it, it, it's, it has to be you know you have to be in recovery to work with people in addiction but it is certainly a big help when you walk the walk and then you have to talk the talk why did you decide at this stage to come out you know that terms is used in another <laughs> yeah. in another context entirely um, but you know what I mean you've had this and, and, and you know you stood up that night at the uh, what, was it the first dinner dance it was you our had first the, dinner dance to raise money door. for the Red Door yeah. you were raising money for mm. yourself trying to raise money we were so underfunded mm. and um, so under resourced as well like the amount of problems that people have in this time around addiction and right with the feud that's going on you know we're seeing more and more people presenting daily families in crisis and we just don't have the money there's not enough staff and we don't have enough money coming from from our funders um so yeah it was to raise money and i suppose uh, i was asked by they were going to get an inspirational speaker and the management and louise and po kind of thought well why would we go and get somebody maybe that when we have our very own one here and i thought you know the time is right um i've held on to this for and every, everybody that knows me says you should write a book Joanne. you should write a book or you should start and i just felt the time was right keen was older now he understands me we have a great relationship and i would talk to him about and he you know and everybody around me was kind of yeah just the time felt right um and yeah, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go. Because I'm very open. Like, anybody who knows me knows the story. So it's about, I suppose, spreading the, spreading it a bit around more. And a, a huge part of the stigma piece, you know, I, I'd i like people to start talking about it a bit more. And the amount of people that have come to me since since Andy wrote the story and said, you know what, it's really helped me, Joanne. Um, and I'm living with this and this is going on in our background all the time. And we don't talk about it because it's it's the dirty the dirty secret people don't talk about and it's happening the length and breadth of this country people whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling or whatever else um, it's happening and people aren't talking about it enough The book The book Jerry. I'll dedicate a chapter to you You just <laughs> You don't have to You just gotta go And do this book And I have it I have the title I have the title for you I was just thinking Before you came here Because we're going to be Talking to Nicola Cassidy Who's another wonderful lady Who's joining us shortly And she has her second book Out at this stage But I see it I see the title My Life Into and Out of Addiction Yeah Your bestseller Jerry. The, the title need- is perfect Joanne O'Dwyer <laughs> I, I just see do this now. You've you, you've you, you've done this. You've come this far. Mm. Write the book. Put it down because you know what? You've done a wonderful service. Let me say, Joanne O'Dwyer, to so many people through what you do every day and how you live your life and helping others. But to tell this remarkable story, and it's not easy. And I know there's more, as you said as well. Mm. But look. Go do it. That's the last thing I'll say to you today. Aww, thanks, Jerry. It's thank there. You very much. It's there for you. It really is. You're remarkable. You're wonderful. And I thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. Joanne O'Dwyer, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you, Jerry. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.